TV Campfire Podcast. I was like, yep, okay, so you win for the week. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. I hate to sound like a broken road. Oh, no! <laughs> We're fans. It's one of the best things on television. Oh! oh! All right, we got you a hold of Oh, no, you didn't. We talk TV. That was the best scene ever. Like, All that right, blew I'll- me away. It was absolutely amazing. I just couldn't believe it. Welcome to the show. This is podcast number 505, and I'm Libya, your host. And this week, we have returning guests. Hi, I'm Tom, and I'm professor of communication and media studies at Palm Beach Atlantic University in Florida. Hey, this is Peter. I write for uh, Why So Blue, and I live in Hollywood. All right, let's start off with the news. We have two weeks worth of news, and I only got a couple of days worth of news, so Tom will fill in the rest. I got that uh, Billy Porter is developing Fruits of Thy Labor with Berlanti production, but I usually don't say even talk about developing other than it's Billy Porter, so I figured some of you guys would want to know. Uh, Dennis Quaid has been cast as Joe Exotic in the uh, adaptation for Peacock. Yeah, um, he's, he's, playing Rick Kirk- he's playing Rick Kirkham. So he's not playing, who's playing Joe Exotic then? Don't know, but he's playing Rick Kirkham in Tiger King. Okay, I don't know who that is. I have not seen Tiger King. I do not pay attention to that jazz. (laughs) Paramount Plus is about to launch with ads at a cheaper rate for the people who... They're trying to convince people to go to Paramount Plus, I guess. They already have one with ads at a cheaper rate. Well, they just said they're about to launch it next week, cheaper with ads. Are you sure that's Paramount Plus? Because I know Max has launched... Yep, that's what it, well, if if it's wrong, then the article was wrong. I think the article's wrong, because they, they've always had a cheaper one with ads. Okay. All right, Tom, you go ahead, take out, take over, what you got? Okay, Amazon has re- greenlit a romantic comedy series with love from Gloria Calderon-Kellett, formerly of the revive, or the reboot of One at a Time. Apple TV Plus has renewed Mosquito Coast for season two. A bunch of exits from NCIS shows in the finales. Emily Wickersham exited NCIS 1, and Barrett Full and Renee Felice Smith exited NCIS LA. CW has ordered Naomi and All-American Homecoming 2 series. They are reworking the Powerpuff Girls pilot. Why? I don't know, because that looked like crap on a cracker. I was about to uh, say, I, felt, I was really upset that Chloe Bennett is involved in that. Why are you upset? Because I want her to do quality work that I can watch. I'm not watching Powerpuff Girls. She's one of three, and probably the lead one of three versus, you know, one among an ensemble. I know, but be one among a good show. Don't go to a crappy show that, you know, your fans yeah, can't follow. I like Powerpuff Girls. That's pretty popular. I mean, I, I don't know about this particular one, but I liked the animated show. It was pretty fun. Yeah. All right, is, whatever. <laughs> um, they also announced that Painkiller is not proceeding the series, and... Uh, Jordan was very charming and gracious on his Instagram page, which got picked up by Deadline Hollywood. Um, In the what took you so long department, on May 27th, Disney Plus finally confirmed officially that Oscar Isaac is Moon Knight. I don't know what's up with that. What do you mean? You mean like we already knew that? They had never confirmed him as Moon Knight. Remember the kerfuffle when uh, Tatiana Maslany had not is she hulk and she denied it i don't know what's going on with their contracts or whatever but come on people uh lee daniels has signed a new overall deal with 20th tv obviously they got empire and it's quasi spinoff star from him first time around and jack schaefer from wandavision has set an overall deal with 20th tv and marvel studios fx renewed breeders for season three hbo renewed black lady sketch show for season three even though HBO promoted Mayor of Easttown as a limited series, the star, has, uh, Kate Winslet, has said she would not be averse to coming back for more. So Okay, then. Uh, HBO Max, Jesse Plemons will star opposite Elizabeth Olsen in Love and Death. I think it's interesting that of all the Friday Night Live cast, he's like got the hottest career. Chris Noth will reprise his role as Mr. Big in And Just Like That, the Sex and the City sequel series. Sophie Turner is joining the limited series The Staircase. Uh, Lee Tolan Krieger will direct the first two episodes of Green Lantern. That's important because he helped launch Riverdale and also for CW and also helped launch Superman and Lois for the CW. Uh, Evil Dead Rise uh, film 
has been greenlit with Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell producing, also for HBO Max. Lots of Netflix news. Jupiter's Legacy has been canceled, which surprises no one who actually saw it. What is surprising is how they spent $25 million an episode. Oh, I thought you said it was $200 million. That's crazy. There are only eight episodes, which clocks out at 200 million, which is nuts. They've got an animated spinoff focusing on the villains going, who cares? Uh, Flyerfly Lane has been greenlit for, uh, renewed for season two. Lucien La Viscount from Katie Keene will join Emily in Paris as a new love interest for the title character. Sandman announced a dozen for the cast, including Kirby Hal Baptiste as Death, Jenna Coleman as Johanna Constantine, and Patton Oswalt voicing Matthew the Raven. A bunch of fans who obviously have not actually read Sandman were complaining about gender flipping. Jenna Coleman's character is a is an ancestor of John Constantine, not a gender flip. And people were complaining about Kirby Howell Baptiste, a black woman playing deaf, who in the comics takes on different forms. And how dare they cast a non-binary actor to play a non-binary character? So, <laughs> yeah. Confronting the, Neil Gaiman on social media, and he was all out of Fs, if you get my drift. Yeah. Uh, Chrissy Teigen has anchored a planned voiceover role for Never Have I Ever Season 2 after revelations that she participated in online bullying surfaced. Maitri Ramakrishnan, also from Never Have I Ever, has been cast in the romantic comedy The Neverfield Girls. And our long national nightmare is over. Lindsay Lohan is returning to acting in a Christmas romantic comedy. <laughs> Somebody, we, we, were, we were all waiting for her to return? Sure. Okay. I was uh, like, okay. Uh, what? I do have to say that is my, I do like that parent trap. I don't know if it's my favorite parent trap. I just like the parent trap, just in well, general. I, I have a sweet spot for the original because Haley, Haley Mills, when I was a kid, I loved Haley Mills. I like both of them. I just love the parent trap. Just That's just a thing. Um, Nickelodeon has announced that uh, their Danger Force, their spinoff of Henry Danger, has cast their first openly trans teen actor, Sasha Cohen, and her and and his twin sister for a live for a live action Nick series. What's interesting about that is that's this is eighteen months after Michael B. Cohen, who was on the the original show and is on the spinoff, came out as trans. Uh, Paramount Plus. Miles Teller is going to replace Army Hammer in The Offer, which is their making of the Godfather limited series. Peacock has announced that Boss Baby 2 will hit theaters and Peacock on the same day. Ooh. Oh! Uh, they also ordered the dark comedy mystery The Result, The Resort from Palm Springs writer Andy Sierra. Sam Ismail from uh, uh, that Mr. Robot show is going to EP. And they gave a straight-to-series order. Evidently, it was a competitive offer for the drama Mrs. Davis from Damon Lindelof and Tara Hernandez, who has been on Young Sheldon and previously was on Big Bang Theory. And that is it. All righty. Let's start off with the shows. First up is a season finale, or possibly series finale, of The Mayor of Easttown. And uh, you guys, go for it. What did you think? I'll let Peter start. You know, I I um uh, I was wary with the pilot back in the day only because I was like, man, I really love Kate Winslet and this is a this is obviously very well done. Um, but I'm like, I, I I just don't know how much I can care about another Twin Peaks, you know, 20, 30 years after that show, small town murder of a teen girl. I was like, ah, oh, Jesus. However, um, I think uh, is it. I don't know if it's a writer, but I know is Craig Zobel the director or writer Craig director? Craig Zobel's the director. He came like, the... and I like I like Craig Zobel. I like The Hunt. I like Compliance. Like I I've liked his his features, um, but I have to say I think that he did a pretty good job of like balancing, still having you know a murder mystery, but knowing that the big you know the big pull for the show really is kate kate winslet's mayor character and the characters and stuff most of my favorite things of this entire season are usually more the smaller moments and of course jean smart at her, as her mom so going into the finale i was kind of like well i was like are they going to be able to try to balance this 
a satisfying murder resolution, case resolution with the characters. And overall, yeah, I think they did. I, I, I think it's a little, it's a, uh, wait, I forgot. Do we talk spoilers on the show? Yes. How have you, it feels like you've never been on the podcast. I always forget sometimes. I feel like there's a point in the story that the, the finale begins where you're like, okay, so this guy did it and he was trying to kill his, he was trying to frame his brother. And it's like, all right, yeah, all right, fine. It's like, there's a photo of it. They kind of go one step more and it's like, it was actually his son. And I was like, oh, that's kind of ridiculous. Like, you know, like, uh, um, but I don't care because what I really cared about were the characters. So yeah, you know, it, I guess having it being the kid also is a nice thing because throughout the season, there's an older couple who they've just, uh, they've just installed like a, uh, a security cam for their back because they're, I think that, the that wife is convinced. That, wait, what? That was an episode one. No, yeah, no, I know. I said they're dealing with it through the season. Is that like the, there's, they're always like, oh, there's somebody in our backyard and I know what's going on. And it's, it's kind of played as a, not a big deal. So actually using the camera to basically find out that that's how the kid got the gun. Like that was pretty good. I was like, oh, that's a nice way of like, utilizing a story beat that that we've seen like you said from the first episode i don't really care about the little kid doing it that's not a really big deal for me um but the bigger deal is that i really think that they really brought home how much you know trauma and depression affects you know well obviously not just affects people but affects a whole town and essentially that's kind of what the season was about and stuff i mean it's all leading towards mayor basically being able to i guess come to peace with the with you know her her son's suicide you know that 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 ultimately the things that distracted her and the things that distract other people that that's more what the show's about so yeah like i i thought it was a pretty good finale it wasn't the best episode but yeah pretty good tom well the, the thing that was the thing that was resonant about the reveal that the kid was the killer is the fact that it was her best friend's son, and literally her best son's, her best son's husband in jail, <laughs> husband's in jail, son's gonna be in juvie, so she's lost almost everything, and it was the personal cost. The whole thing about this, I mean, the murders were important to this series, and I was wary of the, I was wary at the beginning too because I'm like, oh, not another dead girl thing. Yeah, <laughs> it was such an interesting character study, and what was fascinating is you've got Kate Winslet, who's amazing in pretty much everything, but you've got her in a role that would normally be played by a middle-aged white dude instead of a middle-aged white woman, and showing her, you know, basically facing the same kinds of things than a middle-aged white dude would be facing. You know, irrelevance, failed romances, you know, uh, not coming to grips with, with a son, uh, with a son's suicide, etc. But the supporting cast was dynamic. What's really interesting, I read some, I read some behind-the-scenes postmortems by, the, uh, by Zobel, as well as the writer who created it. And, and, um, uh, Guy Pierce's character was a red hair, and everybody thought, "Oh, Guy Pierce is it? He's the killer." No, he was just basically a fling for Mayor. And the fact that she, this is a woman who needs a little tenderness in his in her life, and so he comes in. They have a one night stand, and they, you know they kind of drift in and out, but they don't make a firm commitment. But he's basically like, "You're worth it," because nobody's telling her that. Everybody's telling her what a piece of she is, including family members, including. All, you know the mother of the of the girl that she cracks the case on with uh, with Evan Peters. May he re may his character rest in peace. So no, I, I just really dug the uh, the acting in the show, the mood, and the mysteries weren't the most were the deepest whatever. But it really wasn't about the mysteries. It was it was really a character study, and the mysteries were she's a detective, so we have to deal with that. Right. Yeah, I totally, and I, I I agree, and I. And I have to say, I would be back for a season two because Kate Winslet is so good and Gene Smart. So, I, yeah, I like 
Yeah, like there's a part of me that's like, yeah, leave it at one season. But I was like, no, I would be back. I, I, I think you, I, I call foul because you generally do not come back for season two of Show <laughs> Peter. I'm just calling it like I see it. You might be right about that. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Next up, we're going to talk about Hacks and talking about, since we're talking about Jean Smart and her brilliance, I have oh to God. say the way that the first episode started kind of threw me for a loop i was like because it's like she's have she's in bed with the dude and i was like wait a minute isn't that the guy who died and i was like but wait i don't is this a flashback and then he kind of disappeared and all of a sudden she was in bed with gene smart and i was like wait what (laughs) i was so confused and for a second and then she wakes up i was like oh okay and i like that for the whole episode she's trying to figure out what this means and it was, and I liked her conclusion. She's like, "Oh, I'm not that. She's really important to me, and I'm not that close with her. But I have intimacy issues." Okay, great. I was like, "I was so good." Um, but I, I like that the show kind of. I kind of appreciate that the show went there with her, and she ended up sleeping with the jerk guy who I didn't like her sleeping with because after he he was like, "Well, I didn't really mean to sleep with her you first before I told you this news," and I was like, "You are a liar." The whole night for the party. All he's doing is hitting on her. And... Yeah, that's right. I thought that too. Yeah. When he's when he's like, you know, things just happened. I was like, really? He, he seemed pretty flirty the whole he night. He was like, very like, flirty yeah. the whole yeah. night. Yeah, he absolutely meant to sleep with her one more time before he told her the news, which meant he was never going to get to sleep with her again. So, yeah, he absolutely did that on purpose. Like, he's a liar. And I got to say that what he was doing... Buying out her contract, I have a friend who worked, I have a friend I worked on a television show with who, after I was no longer on the show, I found out that they bought out her contract. That's devastating. That's like the worst thing you can do to somebody to pay them for two years of work they don't get, they don't actually get to do. So he was doing her no favors. Oh, not at all. He's an a-hole. Oh, yeah. But he, right. but but it just made it skeevy that he wanted to sleep with her one more time before he did it. Like that just made it just kind of dirty, you know. It, it's interesting. Um, I mean, technically, we have four episodes to talk about, but um, I can't remember the two before that. Sorry. Well, you've got the, the one where where uh, the writer sleeps with the dude from Agents of Shield. Oh right, which was oh, yeah. I was like the boyfriend, right? Yeah, and. I I mean, the thing about that, the the indication, like, he was like, I spent, you know, I gambled away $60,000. And I was the first, I was like, oh, he's rich. But then there's that moment where he's like, here's my last hundred. And that's where I was like, wait, your last hundred? Like, that was when I, I started to get suspicious of what was going on. Um... And then I like that she like reevaluated all the advice he gave her the whole night because that because he was literally like gonna kill himself the next day. So his advice was suspect. Oh yeah, definitely. But it was interesting that uh, we got to see kind of a tender side of Ava, right? And then of course the trip to the um, the plastic surgery place. I and have to say how she got into into her phone was brilliant that was great yeah that was fantastic that was so good like that the fact was... that it worked i was like oh my god it works like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I and i was like great. of course because kiki she's just she's just so funny and random complaining about her, <laughs> her three-year-old who hates her <laughs> oh yeah that's right. <laughs> but it might work it was three people and i'm one of them like yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. but the um and then the birthday party for the daughter. Oh, it was devastating. With dysfunction on the menu. <laughs> but I, I mean, see- she, get, she gave a really good speech to her daughter, and I felt like she really meant it. And then five seconds later, she beat her daughter down. Like, it was, it was just crazy. She's got it. I mean, the thing is, you don't want to get in the middle of somebody else's interpersonal stuff that's been going on for decades because they both have serious issues well i mean just having that discussion at the party like her saying you know we're gonna get married with the prenup she should have been just like oh okay and then it's like talk about this later this is a later conversation 
This is not a discussion oh, in front of but, everybody. But that's but not really dramatic, though, Ludia. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, she. I mean, it's true. Deborah is gonna. If, De- if Deborah has an audience like she did, she's gonna take it. But my only thing with that was that we know from the earlier episodes that she has already financially kind of locked the daughter out. Remember, like that's why she allows the no, daughter. No, but when but when she dies, she gets all her money though. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. No, she, she said she said she, she could did. be leaving the money to charity. She could do it. She I know, but she like... explicitly says in an episode, "You get all my money when I die, not a second before." She says that. Oh uh, well, then she could, all right. Then what she could have said was was like, "Fine, you can get married, but I'm changing the will." Like she could have done that. Yes, because yeah. my, my main my main thing was was that like, oh, and, and don't worry, I still loved it, but like my my thing was more like, well, you can't really. You can't really tell someone what to do about their marriage and if they're right. going to do a prenup. So what you can do is say, you know what? That is, you live your life, you do that. But I'm just telling you, this is my decision then. And if you're cool with that, fine. You know, that's totally. I would have done that route. But I mean, right. whatever. Yes, and and she, it could have worked. You know, right. but because she made it a big dramatic moment, of course, her daughter ran off to get married immediately. Right. <laughs> so Although, I just say they don't. They don't make the MMA guy. He's so quiet. Like he does. He, I mean, I think he does really like her. I I wasn't necessarily getting the oh, this guy's just here for the money, the pay, the yeah. Uh, he he yeah, is quiet, like, but I also felt like when everybody was giving her a birthday speech, his speech was very non-specific. That's like, true. And I yeah. felt I was well, like, we know each other that well. Exactly. Yeah. He's not the smartest. I mean, the fact that Ava kind of knows her better. Oh sure, yeah, they do. Um, but but it was good of Ava to call her. Boy, Ava and Ava and Deborah have such a weird dysfunctional relationship themselves. Yes, it's just it's fascinating. I mean, and the thing is, when you have when you spend so much time with somebody at work who's a difficult boss, and yet have a marginal relationship with your own parents. It's just this weird because we've seen her parents now, uh, um, Jane Adams character actor we've seen before, and the dad oh, was, from uh, Fr- Frasier. Yes, and the, and then the dad was the dude from the pilot of Westworld. Um, He's wait, he plays the dad. West, he played he played the father of the main character on Westworld. Robert's father. Yeah. Before Ed they lost him because he was malfunctioning. <laughs> right. Wait, Ed, Ed Harris? No, the father of the of the main woman. Oh, Dolores. Well, I was just thinking, I was like, who's the main character? Dolores. Yes. Oh, yeah. You're right. He's the one, He he he's the first person that, like, wakes up and we realize he's a host and everything. Yeah, right. okay. Yeah, that's what right. That was. right, right, right. But um, the, the trip to the comedy club I thought was a great episode. Oh, oh $1.69 million. $1.69. And I also was like, you also need to make sure he can't tweet about anything. But I'm assuming they would figure I'm that sure, out. I'm sure. Yeah, she said she's going to get her lawyers to... Yeah. Her attorney would do the contract. Yeah. I love the fact that even though Deborah blows off Ava when Ava asks, points out all the abuse she's taken, that when uh, when Deborah is talking with Anna Marie Horsford, who's great to see after all these years, uh, the black comedian at the yeah. time. Yeah. When, um, but it was great that Deborah was proactive in. She didn't tell Ava she was right directly. Right. Of course actually, not. But I also thought it was unfair of Ava to blame her for, for like, the entire system. Well, that, I mean, that's the classic generational thing. Is that's what, I, I, that's just, what I was just like, what I know, is I know wrong with you? Unfair, but it, yeah. I, mean, it, I believe she would do it. Like, yeah, but I just thought that was just totally, like, it's basically victim blaming. Like, she was a victim, and she's like, why right. didn't you do more, you victim? Like, I was like, what the <laughs> heck? Uh, um, I will say, I thought it was I thought it was great, though, that, like, you have this great moment where Deborah is is really tearing that guy a new one. Ava supports her. The crowd loves her, and we're like, "Wow, Deborah's awesome!" And then she then it looks like she tries to run over her sister. Like, <laughs> like, like I know she's like, "Oh, I knew she was gonna move," but like that little button on the episode is perfect because it's almost like 
we don't you don't want to forget that Deborah, like the rest of these characters, is also flawed. It's like, yeah, she had a good moment. That was really great. But she can still be pretty mean and everything yeah. like which I thought was great. I thought that was awesome. All right. Well, we got to wrap this one up. It was. Uh, yes. Hacks is awesome. Why aren't you watching? Hacks is great. Is it ending next week. This is the last week. Yeah. Oh, boo. Oh, All right. <laughs> Wait, has it been renewed? I, we are, not, I, yet. I think everybody liked the show. I can't imagine it wouldn't be renewed. We got to wrap this one up, though, Peter. All right. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about Superman and Lois. And this episode was fantastic. And I will have to say, Allison, who has been skeptical about this series, was talking to me on the phone and said, this was the best one she's seen. And I was like, really? The best one? She was like, yeah, she was amazing. And I was like, huh. I mean, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. But I thought some of the other ones were really good, too. So, Are you talking about this week's episode or the previous week's this episode? This week's episode. Okay. Well, the, the big revelation is the stranger is not a Luther. That was a code name that he set up. He's the John Henry Irons of that Earth, a.k.a. Steel. Yes. Hence, I, suit, hence the hammer. Yeah, I don't know who that is. He was the character that Shaquille O'Neal played poorly in, a self, in the movie Steel back in the day. Oh. But when they killed Superman in the 90s, there were four, there, there were four Supermen. There were, there were Superboy, the Eradicator, Steel, and then there was um, uh, the Cyborg Superman. None of them were the real Superman, but Steel is the one. He's the black Superman. Okay. He's the black Superman styled after John, named after John Henry, the Folkland. Oh, that. Yes. Yes. So, but, so, you know, knowing what I know about comics, he will stick around. He will come around eventually and stick around. Well, I mean, by the end of the episode, he, they moved him from villain to ally. So... Possible ally, but yes, I, I agree that they've moved him out of the villain territory. Um, but the thing that was really moving about this episode was just you find out about how Lois had a miscarriage and they were going to name the baby Natalie, but in the alternate universe, she had a baby named Natalie with Steel. And it was just like, and there were all these pictures, and it was just very devastating. Like, and also her conversation with Jonathan. I thought that was amazing. Well, which the, the the conversation where she reamed him and blamed talk about victim blaming. Right. That was cool. And it was good that they I mean, that seemed uncharacteristic until they revealed what was really going on. Right. And I like that they started the episode with her in counseling about it. So that mm-hmm. it's like you start the episode knowing there's something wrong. And then when you get to it, you're like, okay. She obviously knows that she did something wrong. Um, and then we get to the meat of what was going on. And then I like that she told Jonathan what happened, why she overreacted. And and he was just like he was really Jonathan is the most understanding kid ever. You know, he, he understands when his brother breaks his arm. He understands when all, like he is just the, the sweetest, most understanding kid ever. So tired of, you know. He, he's starting to exert himself and be like, you know, calling his brother Superboy and all that. I'm still not convinced he doesn't have powers. Yeah, I, I, I figure that they'll flow roll that one. We're doing, I feel like we're doing one brother at a time. But <laughs> I also want the sister to now come across. Because now that we know what she looks like, we know, we know that... Because the moment that I'm, I'm 90% sure we're going to see the sister was when Jonathan was looking at the pictures... And he was like, oh, man, I'd really like to get to know you. And I was like, oh, she's coming to this universe. Wait, there's a... Wait, I don't remember there being a sister on this show. In, 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 the, par- in, the, in the alternate Earth, Lois and Steel have, have a, a daughter. daughter. Named after Lois's uh, grandmother. What's funny is in the comics, Steel has a niece who's Natasha... And there's a point in time where she actually wields the armor as steel for Well, they're setting up the Natalie to be like that because they show that she's really adept with the technology. She was helping build a suit. So that's why I figure she's going to build a suit and go look for her dad. And that's how she's going to get here. 
But that would be weird for Jonathan to romance an alternate version of his. Dead no, he's, I don't think he's going to romance her. He called that they have the same mother. That would be no. He doesn't. I don't uh, think. Okay. I don't think he's trying to romance her. He just said, "I wish I, I got to know you." I would because it's a sister. That's all. We still don't know how John crossed over yet. That's true, but that's why I think that they're setting it up for the daughter to cross over. And I, because I think, because now that they've set it up to how devastating it is that she wished that she, there's a daughter she didn't get to meet. And I think they're going to set it up for her to get to meet her. And I think that'll be great. Like this show really goes for the heartstrings. I tell you, Everwood. <laughs> yeah. I feel it. I feel it. It's, 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 it's right there, man. And, um, it, it may, I think this one made me cry. Like I cry, like I'm crying at Superman. Like really? But yeah, this one really made me cry. Yeah, the um, is it just me or I sort of kind of I wish they kind of figured out how to use Lana and her family better because I mean I'm sure the act I like her as an actor but I don't like the way her character is written. I hate her I, husband a lot. Terrific. Man, they just make him a Debbie Downer. Yeah, I it's hate just, him a lot. Yeah, which, and, which and is, the only thing I will give them credit for is they came out with him being an uh an alcoholic that he. You know, he fell off the wagon. Instead of having him slowly fall off the wagon and keeping it a secret, they revealed it in one episode. They did it. They yeah, did it was it. like one episode. He gets caught hiding the bottles, and the daughter is just like, really? And he was like, well, I, uh... And so I like that they just did that really quick, and I appreciate that. But I can't stand him. But let's move on. Um, this episode, hey. Superman and Lois continues to be amazing. You know the significance of 7734, right? Not at all. Turn it upside down. It's hell. H-E-L-L. Oh, yeah. He had the he had the keychain. Yeah, the dog tag earlier. Yes, I saw that. They didn't arc with that in the comics, too, so. Um, all right. Next up, uh, In Treatment is back. And, Tom, you have three minutes to tell us why we should be it's watching In Treatment. Uh, this this is this is a continuation of a series that ran for three seasons. It's a it's a therapist who sees patients for half an hour, and then uh, the first season was great. They did five episodes and they aired them for half an hour Monday through Friday. Five different appointments. The fifth appointment was Gabriel Burns as the as the shrink for the reboot. Well, for season two on and also the reboot, they're releasing them one hour at a time. So two episodes uh, on Sundays and Mondays. Uh, patient one, or patient one is Anthony Ramos, who's amazing. Patient two is an, uh, a character actor. He was in Manhattan. I think it's uh, Benjamin David Hickey, who's also pretty good. Patient three, I'm not as invested in. She's an attractive African American female teen, but she's just kind of a hot mess. And Charlene Woodard plays her mom, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then, and she's spoiled. And then for the fourth slot, it's um, it's uh, the therapist meeting with her AA sponsor. The therapist is played by Emmy winner and Tony winner Uzo Aduba from uh, Orange is the New Black. And the big thing is she's a recovering alcoholic. And then her old boyfriend, played by Joel Kinnaman for, from For All Mankind, has waltzed back into her life. And you wouldn't think that romantic pairing would work. But it does. They have chemistry. And her sponsor is like, do not let that man back in your life. He he enables your drinking. So we can see that that's starting to come to a head. Uh, but I highly recommend it. I would watch episode, I would watch uh, with the Anthony Ramos, David, uh, uh, the Benjamin David Hickey, or uh, I can't remember his name, skip episode threes and then the fours with Uzo Aduba and her sponsor because those are terrific. The one with the 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 black teenager, it's like, eh, you annoy me. <laughs> but no, it's good. Great acting, great writing, tight. Alright. Uh, next up we're going to talk about Big Shot. And uh, Big Shot was it was a setup for what we thought. You know, it was like Last or the first week's episode, or actually, I guess it was last week's episode. He was all about, I'm going to get out of this school. I'm tired of being here. I'm tired of being diminished. So he's got all the feelers out trying to get out. And he's 
all about having Holly, who's the assistant coach, take over. So he's, like, training her to be the full coach. And he's, like, really nice to her, and she's like, what's going on? And what's going on is he's planning to jet. And at the end of the episode, he finds out he can't, nobody wants him, right? And so he's like, fine, I've resigned myself to my fate. And then, of course, the very next episode, they were, like, he, he's focused on doing this, and then... They're like, hey, do you want to come back up to the college? Well, mainly because the kid, two of the players started this um, corn 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 statue that trended on social media. So that made him popular again. He hates it and he thinks he's the butt of the joke and he's mad at the girls and, you know, wants to discipline them and, you know, try to give them a come to Jesus talk. And meanwhile, when they get to the end of the episode, that's what put him on the radar again. Right. So, I don't know. He was working my nerves this episode because he is so awful to so many people, especially Holly. The way he dogs her out, it's like, dude, really? Really? You? And some of the things he does to the girls, those would not fly with yeah. a high school, let alone a college student. So, I, I know it's a redemption arc for the character, and I'm surprised how annoying and unlikable Stamos, of all people, who's like Mr. Likeability, can be, but there is sometimes I'm literally like yelling at my TV. It's like, dude. <laughs> um, and I just got to give a shout out. This cast is terrific. I oh mean, yeah, I love the girls, and I love Holly too. I don't have Yvette and Nicole Brown in my, this episode. That's my biggest complaint about this episode. But the girls are all cast well, especially the daughter, and then uh, Jessalyn Gilsig as Holly. Um, even the guy, even the um. Oh, the guidance counselor who basically... Oh, that is, dude? Yeah. I mean, they're frenemies, but I love the fact that, you know, he's got... It's a well-assembled cast, and they've got chemistry. I would presume I know where they're going with all of this, because if he goes... If he leaves for the NCAA job... The show's no, over. Yeah, the show's yeah. over. Yeah. But um, still, he needs to be nicer to people. <laughs> you know, be nicer to people who work for you. Right. And I think the conflict is going to be what, like, they want to do an interview at the same time that the game, the big Carlsbad game is, I'm sure, is what the issue is or something. I don't remember. I don't don't think they would schedule an interview. That would be such false stakes. Because you can move an interview. You can't move a basketball game. True. All right. Um, Yeah, I, I, I... I want to see where it goes, but I, yeah, he has to have a moment where he has, he realizes he loves these girls and he does. I think he does genuinely care about them. Yeah, he does. Um, all right, let's move on. Next up, we're going to talk about bad batch. And can we say bad batch is a bad show? (laughs) I wouldn't say bad. I would say it's trending toward mediocre. I don't know. Yeah. See, that's the reason why I didn't watch Clone Wars to begin with. Well, Clone Wars was actually good randomly. They would have very mediocre episodes, but then they would have really good episodes. And so what I did is I only watched the really good episodes. So I feel very good about the show. Uh, this I is bad episodes. So. Yes. This can is... I, can I ask... Go ahead. Can I ask, um, as a person, I think all of us like The Mandalorian, but um, as a huge Star Wars fan who gets very tired of how Star Wars fans like prop someone up and then they trash them. Like they love them. Even Lucas, you know, they love them and they hate them. I hear, I've seen, yes, I have seen episodes of Clone Wars that you both have said, Oh, you should check that out. Like the Darth Maul. There's like three big episodes when we get Darth Maul back. And that was pretty good. I agree. I agree. Yeah. But I got to say, I don't know who's doing bad batch. It's the same guy. Well, it's weird to me because everyone with the Star Wars movies and people liking Mandalorian, everyone has been like, oh, is it Dave Filoni? Is that his yes, name? Yes, that's his name. Yes. I've been like, oh, Dave Filoni, he's going to save the franchise. He's He knows he's better than everybody else. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't know, man. I'm like, I feel like Clone Wars, it feels like, doesn't mean, I'm not saying he doesn't understand Star Wars, but I'm saying his record can be spotty too, am I right? Yeah. I, I'm just saying, I don't know why everyone says Filoni's the... The best well, thing the, one, the one thing I like is he he's he's creating a unified universe 
Which, but you have problems with well, a lot individual, of Well, I have problems with some of the individual episodes. I actually liked this episode because it directly linked to the Clone Wars. Because the two sisters that are trying to steal from them are from an arc in the Clone Wars. And they're friends with Ahsoka. So when they get on the line and they're like, we know about this guy. I was like, oh, they're talking to Ahsoka. So I like that everything is connected. That's what I really like about the Dave Filoni stuff is that you get rewarded for watching his stuff. It all comes together as one big piece. So that's what I really like about Filoni. Okay, I can, I can see that, and I can see why fans like that. Although I, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're the best thing ever. But I mean, but I didn't yes, say it was the is, best thing ever, but but yeah, right, it's but like, that, and, and he he kind of ramps up, and so. The first thing is the his whole setting the groundwork is usually kind of sketchy, but what happens is once he kind of takes off and he set the groundwork, his found his stories that have foundation are usually pretty good. So I'm going to be excited when Ahsoka shows up. Like that's just going to be a thing. I will be, you know, and he all his stuff is connected and the information we learn here will then be translated to the live action because he's in charge of the live action, too. So I bet we're going to see those sisters in live action. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? All right. My biggest complaint is, and last week's episode was okay with that. You know, it was fun seeing a, what a baby Rancor looks like. Uh, yeah. My bucket list of things to see in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's too episodic. Yes. And they need to keep the through line... The thing is, Mandalorian, because they did so few episodes, like they would maybe do eight episodes in a season, and maybe three of them would be standalone and five of them would be arc episodes. And even the standalone episodes, even though they kind of felt like side missions in a video game, they still sustained your interest for the most part. Some of these, we've seen, what, six episodes of this now, and really, they all feel like side missions. It's like, give us the arc a little bit more strongly. Yeah. I'm not sure what the episodes are doing because animation generally does more episodes in live action. But man, it just it took me three times to get through this episode. <laughs> it didn't take, I, I did do it in one sitting, but I get your point. I don't like the standalone nature of it. Filoni does better when he does arc than he does. Because yeah. his standalones feel flat. His arcs feel good. Yeah. They feel like filler. Yeah, you're right. His, his standalones feel like filler... And his arcs are actually well told. They're pretty good stories. And I'm like, well, why are we wasting our time with these standalones if that's not your strength? You know? I mean, and and for me, the whole strength of this series in particular is basically starting to bridge the gap between episode three. I call it the first of the two Star Wars intertestamental periods. We've <laughs> seen how, you know, how the Republic becomes... The Empire, right. aside from just... It became the Empire just like that. Well, no, it wasn't just like that. So for me, I'm more invested in... Show us more about how that transition happens. Who gets run over? Who buys into it? But some of the, these missions just... The, the side yeah. missions just bore me. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Alright, let's move on. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about Mythic Quest. Uh, two, we have two episodes to discuss... And the first one, Peter, help me out. What was the first one? The um, animals. The first one was a, uh, it's a bottle episode. It's Carol from HR needs them to sign forms. Oh, the animals. The animals. <laughs> oh, the animals, right. Right, 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 right. I mean, right. Uh-huh. That's the first episode. Oh, yeah. So, so what is that character's name who thought he was the wolf? David. David. David, David. being the wolf was hilarious. Well, especially the reveal that he filled it out opposite. So he was actually a butterfly. So he was actually a butterfly. <laughs> oh my god, that was so good. Because, and I do like Carol from HR because she's the only one who seems like an adult. Well, she's I, the only one dealing with reality. Yes, everybody right. else is. I don't know where they are, but she's the only one. Like, come, she's like, I just want to go home. You guys are actually keeping holding me prisoner right now. Like, I thought that was great. Her, her role in the pandemic episode was amazing. Yeah, she's she's, she's, really she's kind of like the big underrated like character of the show, I'd yeah. say. 
yeah. everybody else is just dead. For me, what was devastating about the episode was the very end. Oh, yeah. Ayn and Poppy can when when Ayn and and Poppy talk, and he just basically says, "I don't believe in you. You're gonna fail without me." Not well, even actually, without. He didn't say without me. He just said you're gonna fail. Well, it's actually. I mean, I agree that that is. But actually, what I thought was what started with the devastation was that Ian seems to genuinely open up, say, you know, I'm afraid, I'm a one-hit wonder, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to do anything else. And then Poppy, what does Poppy do? She like, does she not do hand that. it back. She does oh, not. She yeah. says, I'm afraid of singing in public. Or yeah, I'm silly, like, yeah. Come on, man. I was like, that. So I thought that was a pretty good scene where you both see both characters are somewhat raw, and then you could see how much contempt they can kind of have for each other. Um, I really feel like this whole season they've been working up to making Poppy co-creator, but it's sort making of making her a bad person. Yeah, it was not like, good it's going to Poppy's head, and yeah. she's not a very good manager. Like not she's at pretty all. bad. She's a, like, she's a terrible manager. Yeah, <laughs> like I just think that I don't know. It's they have such an interesting again going back to the pandemic episode. They have such that. an interesting relationship that runs the gamut of frenemies to could they be something more. But man, when he just unleashed on her, I would just, I mean, and the thing is, on one hand, she kind of deserved it for not she did. Being, to be vulnerable when Carol asked her to. Even Carol calls her out. Yeah. Right. Say he was vulnerable and then you just totally, you know, blew it off. But you wonder. I think that she probably would be able to pull it out at the last minute with well, help from the people go, she I'm assuming that's, Yeah, I mean... With the people she manages poorly. But the fact that he holds her in such contempt, that was just... And we thought that he had a little bit of affection for her. We, he, and, I think he does. I think he said, no, he does, he said he does, what he right. said to be cruel because he was hurt. It doesn't mean he actually has contempt for her. I think she hurt his feelings and then he retaliated. Yeah. He lashed back out. Yeah. I don't think and he actually. The wounded lion. <laughs> yeah. I love how he's calling everybody part of his pride. <laughs> that was great. Um, but I thought it was. Yeah, I thought that episode was good. Yeah, it was good. And, and then, then the, the second episode is another one of their one-off episodes. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, the and flashback. The, yeah, I hope they do this every season now, where they I do a weird flashback episode. But the um, the actors they had. I don't know. I don't know what Le Guin looks like in real life. But the, I met Bradbury at my very first Comic-Con, and I've seen pictures of Asimov. Those actors were on point. Because when you saw them in the back room, it's like, holy, it's like, that's that's Ray Bradbury. That's Isaac Asimov. Um, but, man, CW, knowing that he was such a pompous ass as a, as a kid or as a young man, yeah. not surprising. <laughs> it's not surprising. But I do feel that uh, I did feel sympathy for him at at the points where you realize he's he's really got a thing for the girl and he doesn't know how to talk to her. And then I knew immediately I was like, she's got a choice between you, CW and the hot guy. I was like, she's going for the hot guy. I was like, that that's just <laughs> how that works. Um, and the fact that he thought he had a chance with her versus the other guy I was like what is wrong like dude but I did feel really bad when he realized that that chance was gone and his feelings were hurt and then the very next day like she lied to him because she was like I didn't want you to get embarrassed and he's like I'd never be embarrassed by my words and I was just like wow that was just all just crushing it's I, I love the whole creative process of like how they're both trying to give him notes and he doesn't take the notes right. They're like, you know, they're like, nope. oh, you know, it was in it was in the rain and now you just change it to a desert. And it's yeah. like that's not Welcome like, to that's my not really a, like, you're not really <laughs> fixing this, you know, like and he doesn't see it. I thought that was really interesting. No. I, I said welcome to my life as a college professor. <laughs> Seriously, that that's the thing that I have to try to emphasize to especially my my writing and production students is set your ego at the door. The goal is to make the product better. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the product. And he just couldn't realize no, that. No, he, he took everything for... personally. Yeah. And 
know what? You know what? One thing they didn't do in the episode. Now that I'm thinking about it, that they could have done, and maybe it was just because you know you only have half hour or whatever. It definitely feels like the way he talks, the way he acts, everything is affected. You could have done a moment where like he loses the accent. Well, right, like he talks to his brother or mom, and they're like, "Why are you talking like that?" Like, you know, like <laughs> the notion of like it's a th- it's a it's a thing he's creating, like yes. you know. Because I was like, "Who?" T-? I was like, "How his is like is his family like this?" Like, I don't think so. I think he just thinks that's what a serious writer is like. Right. But wait, I will say, really loved the moment when he saw Pong uh, in a ra- in a in a window a storefront, and he has this vision of like narrative i thought that was really great and, yeah. and at the end when ian finally comes to him in 2015 he's like oh do you want to help me write this game like i was happy for him i, I was um but i wasn't as i didn't quite feel as bad as you did with the girl because i mean he did basically just take asthma it is a weird thing where i'm like i don't really want to praise this person who just stole a story I'm like, I was well like, he's stealing not, you know, is stealing like, insinuating uh, asimov basically gave it to him I asimov mean, gave it to him asimov, asimov, asimov gave it to asimov him asimov he said this is story. your story it, he was very clear in the note so he didn't steal it uh, asimov he took, he was very it's like he transcribed it i know but asimov wrote out every word he did it on purpose you know yeah. what i'm saying so you... go ahead What's interesting, again, uh, going back to what I was just saying about being a professor, that's one thing I'm always wary of when I do give notes to students is, this is your story, not my story. I'm going to throw everything at the, I'm going to throw everything at the wall to see if there's something that you resonate with, but it's got to work for you because it's yours, not me. And the thing is, when she can, when, when she talks to him at the Nebula Award dinner and says, it's just like Asimov. Yeah, she's like, like she totally. As a copy editor, she knows. Yeah, yeah, she absolutely. Totally knows. Yeah, she knows what his writing looks like, and that was not his writing. But anyway, and that was even more devastating. I was like, oh. But anyway, um, let's move on. I am still liking Mythic, Mythic Quest, but I think I realized the reason why I'm not liking it as much this season as I did last season, is because we're getting less of Poppy and Ian in the same room. We're getting more of... They're filling out the secondary characters, but right. that means we get less of Poppy and Ian, and I don't think the show works as well that way. But anyway, uh, next up, I want to talk about solos for a second. And you were talking about uh, the Entreatment Woman. What is her name, Tom? Aduba. She's in solos, by the way. She has oh, an epi- Yeah, she has an episode. From Orange is New Black. Yes, yes. She has an episode, but I haven't watched hers. I watched Helen Mirren's episode, and I watched Anthony Mackie's episode. And they were both really fantastic and strangely related to each other. Um, I Helen Mirren's episode, I'm not entirely sure what the point was at the end. Like, I understood what her monologue was about. And that's the thing about this show, is that it's basically an actor's monologue. Helen Mirren is in a spaceship by herself for 30 minutes and she's talking to the computer and it's just her talking and it's hopeful and great and dark and sad at the same time. She's fantastic. And then the one with Anthony Mackie, he's actually talking to himself because in the future, if you know you're going to die, you program a robot version of yourself to take to help your family deal with the grief of your loss so he's like a rich businessman and he's got cancer or something he's got some disease that he's only got like two months to live and so it's him doing like his final interview with his robot double and he resents the robot double but he wants the double to be good because he wants it to help his daughter and so it's really emotional and I was like, oh, this is Anthony Mackie's Emmy nomination reel. Um, and so he does a great job, too. So I like both of them. And who else is in it? Um, the last episode is Morgan Freeman. So they've got some really big names on this. And they're all sci-fi-based episodes. So 
I've watched two so far, and I've loved both of them. So, and I think there's six or eight. I don't remember, but all almost every every one of them is like a big name actor doing a little, basically doing a little monologue. All right, that's my pitch. That's on Amazon. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about Sweet Tooth, and we're going to talk about the first two episodes. And Tom, help me out. I don't. I watched three. And so I don't want to give spoilers. Well, the, the first one's just about basically his birth, Will Forte's uh, death, and then him finding uh, the big man finding him. Right, that's the end. And, oh, yeah, he yells for big man at the very end. But the second episode is the trip to the ski lodge. Okay, cool. All right. So what did you think of of just the premise of the show? You know, I haven't, I have not read this DC comic. Contrary to popular belief, I don't read Every single decent comic. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. It, it's such an, it's such an odd, you know, what an interesting way to pair, you know, as as the viral apocalypse starts, and we've been seeing a lot of that recently. I wonder why. At the same time, a bunch of hybrid children are born, and people don't know which the chicken or the egg kind of situation. Yeah, people. Some people want to blame the hybrid children for the apocalypse, but you know. There may be a there may be a connection, but it isn't proven causally. And then um, our our lead character, Sweet Tooth, is this deer boy, whose father is Will Forte, and raises him in a cabin in the woods. And everything's going okay, and he's basically warning him. You know, he's giving him a whole set of rules. He wants to keep him safe. And then the father comes down comes down with the virus, and dies, leaving the kid alone to fend for himself until one day. The big man, played by uh, Nanzo Alonzi, who's awesome, by the way. He's really good, yeah. Who's a, uh, who was a former football player, among other things, evidently. We'll find out more. Stumbles upon him, and the kid is antagonistic at first. Well, I mean, to be fair, two or three guys just tried to kill him. Just tried to kill him, which is, you know, which makes sense. But then when the kid realizes that this guy, A protected him b is good at protecting him you know big black dude <laughs> he decides to kind of tag along much to the big man's chagrin yeah. so um they end up wandering uh, going to a ski lodge for food and they meet a family there and of course we're really we the audience are really suspicious of the family it's a husband uh husband and wife and their son the two boys end up bonding and the big man wants to leave him there permanently, and the couple is considering it until bad guys, led by goggles, come and <laughs> try to kill Sweet Tooth. Well, see, that's the thing that you're the one thing you're skipping in your explanation, which I think is because they were like, "This is a family show; it's really hopeful," except that it's got a really dark underbelly, right? Which is that everyone, all the kids. They, they said that after the virus happened, every child that's born after the virus is a hybrid. And there are orders to kill all the hybrids. So there's this really disturbing comment where when they find Sweet Tooth, they're like, oh, he's the biggest hybrid I've ever seen. He's 10, which means that all the other hybrids that they're killing are even smaller children. Mm-hmm. And it's really just super dark and distra- and they're hunting him with like crossbows and stuff so they can mount his head like what the it's such a dark dark world but we're seeing it through his point of view and so he doesn't realize exactly how dark it is and he's just now getting how scary the world is um, because the big man told him stay up in this cabin, man. He's like, it is not safe anywhere else. Um, and I was just like, and I think the the other thing is they thought that none of the other hybrid children can talk. And I was like, yeah, nobody taught them to talk. People are killing them. You know, if you don't teach the children how to talk and how to read and write, yeah, they're gonna be feral and act like animals. And then I guess you're justified in, in at least they in their heads they think they're justified in killing him. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting is they have a couple of other storylines, which is the woman at the zoo, who's obviously going to be the sanctuary. They, those flyers were coming through about find find this sanctuary, 
And so I think it's the woman at the zoo that's doing this, the hybrid kid sanctuary. And then you have the doctor who seems like a good person, but in order to get the medication to keep his wife alive, uh, I'm guessing the big secret is he needs hybrid kids, bone marrow, bone something. It to... sounds like he's having to do something nefarious with the hybrid kids to get that because they're supposed to turn them into the government. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't understand all these critics saying, oh, it's a family friendly. It's TV 14, which is the TV version of PG 13. But the subject matter is it's not a super disturbing. It's yes. Super... I would never let a child watch this show. These, all the adults are hunting and killing children. It's yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. So unless you want to be paying for your children to have therapy. <laughs> But I think the show's fantastic. The world that they set up is really good. I really like the kid playing Sweet Tooth. I think he's great. He's really good. And it yeah. would not work without him. Yeah. So I really buy into him and into the story. I've watched one more episode. And it's, it's on the same... It's on par. The only thing is they spend, I think, too much time with the doctor. They have a... A section of the t- of the story with the the doctor and and the the town he's living in, and I don't think I needed to spend that much time with them. Well, you got to remember you've you've got a minor as the title character, so you can't use him so much. So you got to have those other stories <laughs> to make your days. <laughs> I guess that's true. That's a very good point. But I was just like, ah, come on! It wouldn't have been so bad if if. It was. I, I thought that that storyline was a little boring. It doesn't end boring. The end is like, holy crap. Like, it does end like, wow. This is from uh, Team Downey, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and his wife Susan, and this is their second high-profile show in, in two years. This and Perry Mason, so they're batting a 1,000 right now. Oh, yeah, this is definitely good. This is definitely good. All right, so let's wrap this up. Thumbs up? Yep. Okay. All right. And- <laughs> Two antlers up. Ah, nice one. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, send the TV Campfire at Follow us on Twitter on SciFi.Radio, Weedonopolis, and iTunes. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye bye. Later. Later.